the June 2023 edition of Agribusiness News, brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. Agribusiness News helps you scan your horizon, prepare for industry changes, and keeps you abreast of the latest research and policy updates. Along with our regular monthly updates on policy briefs, arable, beef, sheep, and milk, in this edition, we'll also bring you two sector overviews on biodiversity and farm diversification into farm tours. We'll also be bringing you news on grassland mixed species swords and why farms are more than just a farm. Hello, my name is Anna Sellers and I am the editor of this month's edition. First up, we have this month's news. May saw the EU vote against a proposed nature restoration law due to the lack of clarity on the potential impact of the proposed regulation on farmland and production. As nature-based targets become a part of mainstream agricultural debates, this signals that though there is existing action and indeed willingness to further incorporate nature restoration into agriculture, greater detail on how this may impact production and be compensated for is needed to reach agreement which benefit all stakeholders. This month's article on biodiversity explores options for biodiversity land use on farms. A recent report published by Scotland's Rural College highlights the challenges to rural land use of meeting multiple targets of carbon sequestration, nature diversity and rural economic, including farming support, as well as evidence on the impact of investments on rural land prices and their unintended consequences. Expansion of specialist expertise in this area, as well as a boost to the Rural Land Fund to support community ownership of rural land, reflect competition for land as a major and growing concern in industry and in policy. In economic news, fresh food inflation has reduced slightly, although a further interest rate rise is expected to be announced on the 22nd of June. While slowing of food inflation has helped the pound reach its highest value to the euro in six months, beating predictions in January, its current strength is as much to do with a weakening euro linked to the German recession. Moving on to this month's policy briefs, the UK government has announced plans to allow more seasonal workers into the UK. An extra 10,000 visas will be made available for the agricultural sector on top of the current allocation of 45,000. However, as part of the overall policy of reducing net immigration, the UK government is keen for UK workers to be trained, despite limited interest for this type of work during the COVID pandemic when many people were furloughed. Under the new Movable Transactions Scotland Bill, businesses will be able to borrow more easily against assets such as vehicles and goods, including whisky stores, and to borrow against intellectual property, such as trademarks and patents. The aim of the bill is to bring benefits to all Scottish businesses, no matter their size or profile. Under Part 1 of the bill, the law will be reformed in relation to the assignation of debt. A new register of assignations will be introduced, which will provide an alternative to intimation as a means of assigning debt. Part 2 of the bill deals with security over movable property, paving the way for movable property to be offered as security against loans and mortgages. Following the recommendation of the Short Life Food Security and Supply Task Force, the Scottish Government is setting up a new food security unit. The new unit's remit is to monitor the food supply chain to build resilience in the wake of Brexit, Covid and the ongoing war in Ukraine. 
The overarching aim is to anticipate shocks and, where possible, to develop policies to reduce the likelihood or mitigate their effects. As a result of increases in life expectancy, the current state pension age of 66 years will rise to 67 between 2026 and 2028. To be eligible for the current full state pension of £203.85 per week, you need 35 qualifying years. The National Insurance Checker on the UK Government website will tell you if you have any gaps, whether you can pay voluntary contributions and how much this will cost. Equally, if you think there are any errors in your national insurance record, contact HMRC well before the deadline of 31st of July 2023 to allow for any errors in your record to be rectified. Up to £25 million is being made available from 2023 through to 2028 to help councils identify affordable homes for key workers in rural communities. The five-year initiative set out in the Scottish Government's priorities for the next three years will enable local authorities and registered social landlords to acquire or lease underused or empty properties which can then be used to provide homes to meet the needs of their communities. Following a pause last year, the June Agricultural Census will be live online from the 1st of June. In order to help support more informed decision-making around farming, the Scottish Government have been making changes to the format of the June Census. In addition to the Census being accessible online, instead of answering many questions on land use, farmers and crofters will be asked to provide summary figures. In addition, in an effort to ensure that the census data reflects farming in Scotland today, a new section will be introduced to allow tailored questions relating to current and developing topics, for example, tillage and manure management. Completing the census is a legal requirement under the Agricultural Retained EU Law and Data Scotland Act 2020. The census can be accessed on the Rural Payments website where you can also register for a new account. All sections should be completed based on information relevant to the business on the 1st of June 2023 unless otherwise directed. Further guidance on completing the June 2023 census can be found on the Scottish Government website. Moving on to Arable. Markets continue their downward trajectory post-extension of the Black Sea export corridor to mid-July. For a brief period leading up to the extension, markets priced in the risk of non-renewal. It was short-lived, however, with sentiment soon returning to one of unrestricted global supply of cheap wheat, with Russia and Ukraine being aggressive sellers of cheap grain and the market remains anchored by big corn crops across the world. It could be argued that traders are currently ignoring the longer-term Black Sea risk. Were Ukraine to strike Crimea, for example, geopolitics and war could still impact markets again. The market continues to expect record supplies going forward. 2022-23 ending stocks are massive in many regions, and the recent USDA supply and demand report is expecting a strong restocking season in 2023-24. This highlights the importance of Australia, Brazil and Russia as having record volumes and cheap surpluses of wheat. 
South America, in its totality, is developing into a powerhouse regarding maize export capabilities for 23-24, anticipated to be in the region of 95 million tonnes, and priced to undercut most other origins for both wheat and maize around the world. Markets will be looking ahead to the size of the Brazilian Safira maize crop, plus US maize and soybean crops. These are expected to be very large crops too, but the critical window for US yield formation is still ahead of us in July and August. Large carryout is expected here in the UK. Export business is stagnating. Late season domestic demand sporadic and the 2023 new wheat crop expectation is currently falling within the 15.7 to 16.2 million tonne range which would give a very large exportable surplus for 23-24. Old crop malting barley markets are disappointing as buyers are covering. Ex-farm new crop sales remain slow as domestic consumers remain uninterested. New crop feed barley is equally inactive and prices continue to fall in line with wheat futures. China may lift the import tariff sanctions they placed on Australian barley back in 2020. Whilst France previously filled this gap in supplying China, not having this market going forward is likely to impact on the UK's malting barley export competitiveness. UK oilseed rate values are currently at half of their level a year ago. An expansion in oilseed rape area Europe's planted oilseed rape area has increased by 7% and a lower than average commitment to forward contracts plus large EU opening stocks and a high yield expectation for this year's harvest are pressuring prices. If there can be any consolation at all, one could consider the new season nitrogen prices at time of writing £330 per tonne for 34.5% N, a step in the right direction. Grain marketing currently appears to favour the longer holder. Concurrently, US soybean plantings are progressing apace and ahead of the five-year average. As planting continues, the record crop estimated at 122.7 million tonnes becomes increasingly likely. This will have the potential to continue weighing on oilseed markets towards the end of 2023, which inherently will feed into rapeseed prices too. Concerns have also been raised this week by the oilseed crushers European organisation Fediol that high volumes of biodiesel imported as of waste origin has had an unprecedented bearish impact on rapeseed markets, a downward trend that could not be explained by other market developments. Calling for proof of legitimacy of these imports, Fediol illustrated that prices paid to farmers for new crop rapeseed based on August 2023 Euronext prices have gone down from about €600 Euros per tonne in early January 23 to just over £400 per tonne by mid-May. On the upside this week, Rapeseed futures followed gains in the wider vegetable oils complex with the news that India's palm oil imports are expected to fall to their lowest in 27 months and will be replaced by soya oil and sunflower oil. 
Scottish finished beef price has steadied in May to 511 pence per kilogram dead weight, whilst prices started to drop slightly south of the border and the Republic of Ireland prices are significantly less in Scotland at around 460 pence per kilogram. Numbers available in Scotland have been tighter this spring, partly due to the numbers of store cattle that went south last year and the ongoing beef cow herd reduction. Processors will be glad to see the young bulls coming on stream now, which will help lift numbers over the next couple of months, while steer and heifer availability looks to remain tight. Traditionally, prime cattle availability drops in the summer months, with a lift in the beef price usually seen August and September, when numbers are especially tight. With the current record high beef price, it is an unknown how much it can or will rise over the summer. With expensive store cattle bought this spring and fed on higher priced cereals over the last few months, it may be difficult for these cattle to leave much of a margin, with some finishers needing 540 pence per kilogram to break even. They will be hopeful of a price lift during the summer. With the big spring store cattle sales now behind us, numbers are dropping at weekly sales with less short keep cattle available. Recent grass growth has improved the demand for grazing types. Cull cow prices remain high at around 440 pence per kilogram for an R4L cow, making prime cattle look cheap. However, numbers available will fall in line with seasonal trends, but demand looks to remain high as we move into barbecue season. The returns some breeders have received for their calf crops this spring should have put a bit of enthusiasm back into the breeding job, even with the higher input costs experienced last winter. Thankfully, both cereal and fertiliser prices have fallen this spring, and cattle prices have remained high, which should provide more optimism for the sector. Breeding cattle sales throughout May have shown a strong demand for replacements, with large price increases on the year especially for heifers with calves at foot. This is unsurprising considering the value of cull cows and those keen on keeping cows are willing to reinvest considerably in what they want. The UK Farm to Fork Summit held at Downing Street in mid-May was an opportunity for the government to show that they took the food industry and farming seriously and that after recent food shortages in supermarkets, there is a need to focus on the importance of domestic production to ensure a sustainable supply of food. It will be interesting to see what, if any, measures are put in place to assist food producers with this. New importation rules for all meats and cheeses come into force in November 2023, which require vet approvals on all imports, which will increase the costs on these products and so may reduce the levels of imports. There is an upcoming event focused on sustainability. Chewing the Cud on Cows and Carbon takes place on the 15th of June, funded by the University Innovation Fund. SAC Consulting is organising a technical beef day at Upper Raddery Farm for Troys by kind permission of Andrew and Mary Jo Grant. To book a space, call SAC Consulting Elgin Office. Moving on to sheep. The trade for all classes of sheep is currently exceptional, with new season lambs starting to come forward, 
while there's still demand for well-fleshed hogs. However, there are many leaner unfinished types being marketed to offload them from holdings. Cull ewes have seen week-on-week rises for the last number of months. Consumer trends and habits have now been issued for April, which makes interesting reading for any sheep producer. In the two weeks before Easter, 9.7 million kilograms of roasting joints were sold in the UK, showing a year-on-year increase of 6%. The most popular roasting joint was lamb, which saw a 25.5% rise on the year, while pork and beef saw decreases on the year. 63% of lamb sold in this period was leg roast, which is priced at an average of £11.64 per kilogram, compared to beef roast at £10.02 per kilogram. This increased demand for lamb may have been due to both Easter and Ramadan being held at similar times. In addition to which, supermarkets were promoting lamb heavily over the Easter period as well as the weather leaning people more towards an indoor roast than an outdoor gathering. It may also be that more people are choosing to celebrate Easter, which may be proven by 5 million extra Easter eggs being brought this year in the week before Easter than last year, making 38 million eggs traded the week before Easter. The export data for the first quarter of 2023 is now available, with imports to the UK being back 33% on the year, with meat from New Zealand reducing substantially while they target markets closer to home. The three top imports were frozen legs, frozen boneless lamb and fresh legs. This reduction of imports is largely due to the reduced consumption of lamb in the UK out with Easter. Exports are a different story, with a 22%, 3,800 tonnes increase on the year. This reflects the change of lower domestic consumption and the reaction to the tight supply due to the reducing numbers of sheep in the continent. Whole carcasses have accounted for 82% of exports in this first quarter. Last month, I wrote about the declining European sheep flock, which has decreased by 1.5 million head with production reduced by 1.2%. With this in mind, our exports to France have increased 20% from quarter one in 2022, with March showing the highest level in five years. The declining European flock is a huge opportunity for the UK. However, we need to ensure a lamb is traded at an attractive price for our European customers. The latest data available from the European Commission shows the French light lamb at €9.82 per kilogram and the Spanish light lamb at €7.42 per kilogram for the week ending the 15th of May. Our lamb is currently cheaper than the French, but not the Spanish lamb, which has an impact on the export potential at the moment. SAC are holding a Sheep in the Uplands event on the 4th of July at Ballandalloc Home Farm, Morrisshire, where we'll be hosting a panel debate on how does the sheep industry prepare for the future. Please see details of how to register in the show notes. Now let's move on to grassland mixed species swords. Mixed species swords, often called herbal lays, are becoming increasingly popular with livestock farmers. 
They typically contain a number of species of grasses, legumes and herbs and have many benefits over traditional perennial ryegrass clover swords. As our changing climate and drier summers have made it more challenging to manage grass in recent years, it is worth considering these more diverse lays and the benefits they can bring to livestock, soil health and the environment. There are a number of different species that can be included in a mixed species sward. This includes grass species, including perennial ryegrass, timothy, meadow fescue and smooth-stalked meadowgrass. Legume species, including white clover, lucerne, birdsfoot trefoil and a vetch. Herb species, including chicory, ribwort plantain, sheep's parsley and yarrow. While many farmers will be familiar with the higher protein and nitrogen fertiliser saving benefits of red and white clover, other legumes such as sainfoin and birdfoot trefoil have natural anthermentic properties, potentially reducing wormer usage. This also applies to chicory. Lambs grazing mixed species swords have been shown to use up to 50% less wormer inputs. Other benefits of mixed species swords over perennial ryegrass swards include deep rooting, so swards more drought tolerant. Good examples are plantain, chicory and yarrow, which have a strong taproot. Also improves soil aeration and drainage. Water can percolate into the soil more easily, so there is less runoff. Carbon capture. Carbon is sequestered deeper into the soil, allowing a longer-term accumulation of carbon and organic matter. More even growth. With less of a growth surge in May and more growth in late summer, giving an opportunity to extend the grazing season. Similar dry matter yields, but with significantly less nitrogen fertiliser requirement. Improved animal performance. With higher growth rates and lambs reaching slaughter weight on average two weeks earlier. Higher mineral content, which may reduce supplementation requirements or improve animal performance. Supports pollinators, as flowering species provide a food source for butterflies and bees. Given the wide range of species available, take a advice from your seed supplier on what would be the most appropriate mix for your system, soil type and climate. Is the sward to be used primarily for grazing or silage? Also, what would you like to achieve? Higher protein silage? Drought resistance? Reduced nitrogen fertilised requirements? Better soil structure? The more functions you want from a mixed species swards, the more species that should be included. Tips on managing mixed species swards for grazing. During the first year after establishment, light grazing will help control weeds and encourage tillering to increase sward density. Do not graze too early. Allow good leaf cover to build up, helping strengthen root development and persistency. Ideally, wait until there are six leaves on plantain and seven on chicory before grazing. Rotational grazing is recommended as persistency will be better when the sward has a rest period, around 7-10 to 10 days longer than the rest period for perennial ryegrass lay. 
Continuous grazing will reduce persistency of legumes and herbs and encourage preferential grazing of certain species, for example, clover. Avoid overgrazing and leave a minimum residual of 6 cm. The optimum grazing height is around 3,200 kg of dry matter per hectare, slightly higher than traditional grass lays. Be careful when grazing during wet periods. Poaching can damage herbs, so manage grazing in the shoulders of the grazing season to limit sward damage. Tips on managing mixed species swards for silage. Include species that can withstand regular cutting, for example, red clover, lucerne, which is best on high pH sandy soils, and plantain. Chicory has a tough stem which can pierce silage bale wrap and goes to head quickly so it is more suitable for grazing. Include species with similar growth rates so that slower growing species are not outcompeted and shadowed by faster growing ones. In order to gain maximum benefit of nitrogen fixation, root growth and forage yields, mixed species swords should be down for at least four years, as their cost will be greater than ryegrass. The longer they can be maintained, the better the financial return. For more information, please visit the Farm Advisory Service website. Milk prices continue to fall for June. Milk volumes are now past their peak and falling. However, further price cuts for June have been announced. Farmgate milk prices are now in the region of between 35 to 40 pence per litre from the main Scottish milk buyers. Depending on the type of supply contract, with supermarket aligned contract faring better and over 40 pence per litre. Milk production data shows that UK milk output for April 2023 was 1,335.4 million litres, an increase of around 3.5 million litres on a year-on-year basis and 1.1% higher than March 2023. April was a cold, wet month with UK milk production running below AHDB forecasted volumes. The spring flush where production peaked at the end of the first week in May at 45.22 million litres, seven-day rolling average, was very similar to the peak in the previous year, with an average daily volume of 45.3 million litres. The UK average milk price for April 2023 was 39.43 pence per litre, down 4.15 pence per litre from March 2023 but 2.2% higher than April 2022. The main Scottish milk buyers have either reduced their price for June or held at the May price. Announcements for June 2023 are as follows. Please note that the following prices are in pence per litre. Lactalis and Fresh Milk Company, 35.5. First Milk Manufacturing, 37.89. Muller and Muller Direct, 39.75. Arla Farms Manufacturing, 35.21. Graham's, 36.0. Yew Tree Dairy, 38.0. There was very little movement in UK wholesale prices of dairy commodities from April going into May, 
with prices now back significantly on where they were six months ago. Trade was fairly quiet on the back of buyers holding off purchasing, keen to see what milk volumes would do with the approaching spring flush, and sellers not looking to generate sizeable sales, waiting to see how supplies might be affected by the extent of peak milk production. The Milk Market Indicators, AMPE and MCBE, showed little change for the month of May, with AMPE representing the processor's factory gate value of one litre of milk to produce butter and skim milk powder. The May value is still well below the lowest liquid standard litre price for June in Scotland. The latest global dairy trade auction held on the 16th of May returned a negative price index with a GDT price index down on average 0.9% to $3,488 per tonne from the previous auction two weeks ago. The previous two auctions resulted in positive price movements. According to AHDB's most recent survey of milk buyers, there was 7,500 dairy farmers in Great Britain as of April 23. Despite this being 380 fewer than in April 2022, milk production has not fallen, with high milk prices in the latter half of 2022 stimulating production growth which has been maintained over the winter months. Recent announcements by supermarkets to reduce the cost of milk and other dairy products combined with post-peak declining volumes, mean that supply and demand may come more into balance, adding some stability to the markets. For farmers, cost of production will slowly start to decline as feed prices have been falling, and looking forward, the prospect of lower energy and fertiliser prices mean that the economics of milk production should be more favourable as we head into the autumn and winter period. Going by the futures markets, milk prices are looking like they will settle around the mid-30s, so there is perhaps some further reductions in price to come yet. Along with a strong beef price, there is little incentive at the moment for farmers to push for milk volumes. Weather events will likely play a part, especially if last year's drought conditions are repeated, reducing output which may help prevent milk prices falling further. Now, let's move on to biodiversity. Biodiversity, the diversity of biology, refers to all the living things on Earth and the complex relationship they have with one another, which we refer to as the web of life. In this complex web of life is the human who co-evolved alongside these other species, becoming codependent for survival. As the human population has grown, many other species have declined to the point that one in eight species on Earth are now threatened with extinction. There are many factors driving the decrease in biodiversity, but one of the main ones is the change in land use and land management practices. To preserve biodiversity and the web of life we are in, humans need to reimagine the way we use land and produce food. To address the decline in biodiversity at the recent UN Biodiversity Conference, COP15, countries from all over the world, including Scotland, pledged to halt the decline 
in biodiversity by 2030. To do this, a number of goals and targets were agreed. Most notably, was aimed to conserve and manage 30% of the world for the importance of biodiversity by 2030, turned 30 by 30, and the phasing out of subsidies that harm biodiversity. Within Scotland, the Scottish Biodiversity Strategy highlights how by 2030, Scotland will have halted biodiversity declines and by 2045 will have restored biodiversity. To achieve this, it sets out the aim of transforming 50% of agricultural subsidies from unconditional to conditional, targeted toward biodiversity improvement. Furthermore, Scotland looks to increase its nature networks, which will increase the connectivity between nature-rich sites. For agriculture, the question of how we can produce food whilst enhancing biodiversity often brings on two answers. The first is that we should farm in a more nature-friendly way, where our farming methods can deliver food, albeit at a potentially lower yield while increasing the biodiversity in the surrounding landscape. The second is to put more land aside for nature and make up your losses in food output in these areas by intensification in more productive parts. This dilemma has been around for decades and was picked up the name land sparing versus land sharing. Do we share our land with nature and farm with it in mind? Or do we farm as productively as we can so less land is needed for agriculture and therefore leaves more to nature? Each answer throws up a whole host of further questions and problems. Land sharing will benefit species found in semi-natural ecosystems that can tolerate a moderate level of disturbance and increase soil and ecosystem health that can deliver services for humans. However, its reduction in yields will require more land to meet demand and may require some habitats rich in rarer biodiversity to be converted to agriculture. This would benefit species that can thrive on agricultural land but would be detrimental to more specialist species that require undisturbed habitats. Land sparing would benefit these species and could allow for a larger area to be set aside for biodiversity for an increase in efficiency on productive land. However, as most farmers on productive land are being as efficient as they can for economic reasons, increasing productivity is easier said than done. Furthermore, pockets of isolated spared habitat may isolate the species within them if the land between is all intensive agriculture. This could fail to capture the importance of connectivity for preserving biodiversity. The current understanding favours land sparing to allow areas of unproductive land to be preserved for nature's sake with a 30 by 30 policy will help deliver. If the mechanisms are in place to drive it. That said, land sharing is still required. For the benefits it delivers to generalist species, its connectivity between habitats and its ability to improve soil quality. Furthermore, movements such as regenerative agriculture are finding innovative ways where working with nature can reduce impacts to surrounding nature without drastically reducing yields. 
ecological intensification, where the best of both worlds is achieved. These look to be supported through the government's ambitions to become a leader in sustainable and regenerative farming. The best way to improve biodiversity on a farm is to understand what you have already got. Doing a baseline estimate or measurement of the biodiversity gives an idea of what can be built on and where creation could benefit the surrounding landscape best. The creation and management of biodiversity-rich habitat can be funded through sources such as the Agri-Environmental Climate Scheme. Habitats such as peatland can be restored through funding from peatland action with the possibility of obtaining carbon credits through the peatland code. Other carbon credit schemes such as the Woodland Code can provide an income for woodland creation. If you'd like to listen to other podcasts about biodiversity, why not check out Natural Capital Podcast through the Farm Advisory Service? There are some exciting episodes from Highlands Rewilding to Bees, Butterflies and Biodiversity. Now, let's move on to Management Matters and why a farm is more than just a farm. The cornerstone of microeconomics is that market forces efficiently allocate resources to their best use. That is, the size of farms and the balance of labour, machinery, buildings, crops and livestock on them will evolve based on the cost of inputs and price of outputs. The trouble is that agriculture has a long-known resource adjustment problem. That in simple terms mean that too many farmers persist in the industry and farmer income suffer as a result. Meanwhile, some sectors point to growing labour shortages and the next generation complain about the lack of opportunities to farm. What is going on? Farms have generally got bigger over time due to the cost-price squeeze and availability of new technologies. However, when the annual farm income figures are released, the headlines typically highlight that farm incomes are low relative to other industries. Of course, there is variation between agricultural sectors, with dairying and crop farming consistently averaging higher incomes than beef and sheep farming. Asset fixity was a traditional explanation for low farm incomes. In short, the labour and capital used in farming was difficult to reallocate to other industries because farm equipment and farmer skills and knowledge were not readily transferable. As a result of this low asset salvage value, farmers keep on farming so long as what they sell covers the direct costs of production, often only forced to change when faced with a major reinvestment need, like, for instance, the dairy complex becoming unmaintainable or failing compliance rules. More recent research has revealed more important forces are at work. Farms are often a base for more than farming, plus off-farm income often bolsters farm household income. Historical ties and joy of country living are also barriers to change. Farming is also unique, owing to the importance of the land resource yet the value of land generally far exceeds its agricultural productivity. Favourable tax and policy support have been particularly influential. Scottish and British agriculture that a century ago was largely farmed by tenants 
is now mostly by run by owner occupiers with balance sheets anchored by land values. With land now in demand for carbon farming, this has inflated the value of upland and hill land considerably. The term asset rich, cash poor, still captures the essence of why farming on this island has evolved to its current structure. Given that future Scottish agricultural policy is in the melting pot, what might government do to better help the industry adjust? The emerging English agricultural policy appears to be supportive of letting market forces shape the adjustment process. Area support payments are being phased out. Indeed, farmers can speed up the process by selling their entitlements for an upfront lump sum. Grant support will also be available to help transition via the Farm Investment and Skills and Training Funds. For the dairy and cropping sectors, where profitability is less dependent on the area payment, structural change is unlikely to differ much from the current trajectory with contract farming a key mechanism used to achieve business growth. However, for the livestock rearing sector, mainly in the hills and uplands, the loss of area support may prove a major disruptor. Structural change in such farming areas could be more dependent on how environmental diversification and socio-economic policy works. Scotland will not follow England in phasing out area payments, yet it is likely that a significant drop in this vital farm income stream is coming in Scotland given overall budget constraints and the need to fund environmental schemes. As dry stock farming is relatively more important north of the border, even a small drop in direct support could trigger significant structural change. In some areas, explicit socio-economic policy may be needed to prevent a breakdown in the agricultural ecosystem. But such is the extent of livestock rearing across Scotland, managing structural adjustment may be the best means of avoiding a destructive chain reaction. That may mean a more nuanced definition of active farming than what many in the industry are calling for. A good place to start would be to explore how to better connect older farmers with capital that wish to continue farming with younger farmers with drive and energy. Like England, contract farming will have a place but is there more scope to develop more flexible joint venture mechanisms like equity partnerships? Finally, we'll move on to farm tours. Farm tours are a form of diversification that both tenanted and owner-occupier farmers should consider as a means of promotion of the farm story, brand and produce, and also as another means of revenue. Farm tours can take many forms, with the size of groups, time length of tour and farmer involvement varying across the country. With the success of projects like Open Farm Sundays, farm tours have taken off, although it is still an untapped market in some areas. Tours are often seasonal and will naturally be more popular in the spring and summer months, but some farms carry out all year round tours. Some farmers employ others to do the tours on their behalf. Other farmers prefer to do the tour themselves, so farmers can take either a passive or active role. 
The farm tour experience and income will vary according to farm type, location and the market segment targeted. For example, students, young families, interest in food origins, conservation and biodiversity. Some farms make very successful income from simple walk and talk tours as well as more sophisticated tractor tours and hands-on lambing shed experiences. In general, the public are fascinated with what goes on in farming and are always looking for unique experiences and be better educate themselves on real farming practices. Jack Munro, the author, has run several farm tours and found it a rewarding experience. The model that he operated depended on group size and group type and included a drink and sandwich. A filled coach visit, for example, 56 people was £700 for a one and a half hour tour. In our situation, the customers on tour ended up at the farm shop and purchased further refreshments and produce. However, it is important to bear in mind that farm tours should be, in most cases, a secondary objective to the farm enterprises. The tours must be managed in a way that they do not disrupt performance of the existing farm enterprises directly or indirectly. Good communication, management of time and resources and planning are essential to running a farm and a tour business enterprise concurrently. Some smaller bespoke farm tours can be lucrative and many customers are looking for unique high quality personal experiences and happy to pay a higher price for that, £30 to £100. A cursory review of farms that offer tours in Scotland suggests that group tour prices range from £10 to £30 per head with headage discounts offered to larger groups. Children's prices range from £5 to £15, with higher prices for more hands-on experiences. Children go free with a paying adult in some cases. Trailer tours as a standalone option can start at £20, but can rise to upwards of £60 per person. Costs involved with the inputs and additional overheads such as insurance and infrastructure must be considered in the pricing in order to ensure a good profit margin. Farm tours may be the last thing on many farmers' mind, but in the right location and with careful management, there can be benefits on both sides. Tours are a personal and powerful way farmers can educate the public on their local farming practices culture and history, with opportunity to dispel many myths, showcase quality sustainable food and at the same time demonstrate the stewardship and hard work that goes on to keep the nation fed. Thanks very much for listening to this audio edition of the June 2023 Agribusiness News. Remember to follow Agribusiness News to get notified of future episodes of this monthly podcast. This edition was edited by Anna Sellers and included articles written by Christine Beaton, Mark Bowsher Gibbs, Leslie Wiley, Kirsten Williams, Lorna McPherson, Harry Fisher, Kev Bevan, and Jack Munro. Presented by myself, Tiffany Stevenson, and produced by Alistair Trail. <laughs>